Time is a podcast of the Unite Leadership Collective, hosted by Tim Ullman and Jack Caliber. The ULC envisions a future in which all congregations fully equip the priesthood of all believers through world-class leadership development at the local level. Lead Time taps into biblical wisdom for practical solutions to today's burning issues. Each podcast confronts real-time struggles facing the local church in a post-Christian culture. Step into the action with the ULC at uniteleadership.org. This is Lead Time. Welcome to Lead Time. Tim Allman here. I have a, a special privilege today of getting to hang out with a longtime pastor and friend, John John Kieschnick. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about, about John. Um, I was first introduced to John right as I was starting in ministry some 15 years ago uh, in, your, in your book, The Best is Yet to Come. And then I heard about this Crazy awesome pastor, uh, Gloria Day in Nassau Bay, and uh, 33 years at Gloria Day, uh, bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to his people. Uh, before that, he spent four years as a pastor in Irving, Texas. So his entire, he's a Texas boy, entire ministry has been there in the great state of Texas. And then transitioning uh, into another season of ministry back in 2007 with Capital Funding Services, kind of the LCEF arm there for the Texas district. Uh, what a joy to hang out with you today, today, John. Uh, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great. I really appreciate the opportunity to share. Man, the privilege is all mine. So let's, let's get, um, let's look a little back and kind of your life as a, a leader in the local church. So top three leadership lessons. This is a leadership podcast. So top three leadership lessons the Lord taught you in your years as a, as a minister of the gospel. You bet. I'll tell you, I've learned an awful lot over the years, and I remind myself everything that I know I've learned from somebody else. <laughs> and that, so I'm grateful fact. to God for so many people in my life, including people like you, Tim, and others who really have such a heart for the Lord. Uh, I, three uh, came to mind. One uh, or should say come to mind. Uh, one is keep the mission the main thing. Mm. Uh, as a leader, you need to remind yourself and others regularly, what are you trying to accomplish and why? Another way to say it is what Peter, I think it's Peter Drucker who said, ask yourself regularly, what business are we in? So that you can answer the question, how's business? So that's the first thing. And I, as a leader in the church, I mean, we all know it. It's in the Great Commission, right? Mm -hmm. But we have right. to remind ourselves of that regularly because it's very easy to get sidetracked. So that's the first thing. Yeah. Uh, can we pause on that? Let's pause on that for a second, John. I, what is it about our sin nature and how that impacts the church? Because I... Sin equals selfishness. I think that's one of the better synonyms for for selfishness, and that selfishness moves from from me to then even even the people of of God and the natural pull. I get way more. So let me let me frame it up this way. Uh, I get way more attaboys when when I say words like, you know, in this season we're just gonna we're gonna focus on we're gonna focus on ourselves yeah. and kind of taking care of our our house. I was talking to a lay leader recently and they're like, yeah, you need to say that. You need to say that more. And on the one hand, I get it because we're, <laughs> we got entrepreneurial ideas, you know, ways to reach Jesus coming out of every orifice of our collective culture here at Christ Greenfield. But, but like, what is it about that, that, you know, you know, pastor, you just really need to 
focused on taking taking care of us. Uh, did you did you have similar experiences, John? Oh goodness! In fact, the worst mistake. Well, I've made a bunch of them, but the worst mistake I made in my first church was uh, God blessed it. We were growing. It was a small, demountable mission uh, chapel that uh, the Texas district was using. And uh, man, I knew we needed to go to two services because we couldn't get anybody in there. We were shoehorning people in. And people said to me, Pastor, don't do that. We won't know everybody. And I bought the lie. So, boy, when I went to Gloria Day, I decided I better learn something about this. And I had people say, because I told them when I came, look, we've been focused. I believe this church has been primarily focused on Lutherans who are moving into the area. If I'm coming, God willing, we'll be able to reach out. And uh, so I had uh, and I, I had to convince myself of it. Okay, because I'm a pastor at heart. Okay, I love people and they love me. And you have to really break out of your comfort zone. And I remember one couple, I loved them. They were always telling we need to take care of people. And I said, you know what? It's not the tyranny of the or it's the genius of the and we Hmm. take care of people so that we can reach more people. And uh, so uh, uh, that, like I said, because I know that I personally fight it. There are times you just want to say, you know, enough already. But you have to come back and say, what did Jesus say? No, That's we're right. here to reach more and more people for him. So you have to, I have to remind myself. I start with myself and then train uh, train leaders to do it. And, and people will come along because I'm going to lead to the second thought about leadership in that regard, if I may. Uh, I, I really believe that we need to, and that's why this podcast exists, is that we train people to apply the theology of the priesthood of all believers. Uh, uh, One of the great roles of leaders is equip and train. I'm Ephesians 4, right? That you are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And that, that was true in the first century. It's true in the 21st century. So that's that's really the second uh, leadership principle. I equip, train, right? Uh, yeah. Well, we were. I've talked about this a lot, John. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. were trained to be doers, not yeah. necessarily Amen. developers. Amen. We were trained to, to do it for people rather than with with people, and yeah. that is that takes a lot of humility, doesn't it, for the leader? Because you're going to recognize, wow, I got a lot to learn, and I may know a little bit about or a lot about a little bit theology whatever it is you know rightly mm-hmm. rightly distinguishing law and gospel whatever it is all the things that we learn at the seminary but then you get out in the parish and you're like oh my goodness yeah. people are complex <laughs> ministry is messy and i better i better learn how to connect with real people and recognize you know my personality gifts and my gaps and how do i build a team i mean there's just so much there it, it's easier if you will to just say i'm going to i'm going to enter into a church you know, they, they've been here for a long period of time and there's no disparaging. There's 1400 of these sizes of churches in the LCMS yeah. right now, about 25. It's a small group, right? Yeah. And I can generally handle them and I'm going to to preach the word to them and uh, distribute the sacrament to them. And I'll basically leave them alone, <laughs> if you will. And I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful they'll leave me alone, alone, too. I just I, I couldn't personally 
have a clean conscience if that were my perspective toward doing the work because we got to keep the main thing, which is the main thing. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and save me. I've been found and he's got many other lost, lost sheep as well. So thank you for that. It is all about equipping and empowering, um, keeping the main thing, the main thing. Third leadership point there, John. Well, let me just speak to that, uh, what you just stated. A book that was transformative for me, it was somewhat controversial in the Senate, was called Everyone a Minister by Oscar mm-hmm. Foyt. I started out my ministry as a teacher, like my dad and two brothers. And so because my dad was a phenomenal uh, caregiver of people, uh, I learned from him. And that's great, okay? But as you said, uh, uh, when you pay attention to the word, and that's going to be my third point about leadership, uh, I, I had to ground myself continuously in the word of God. The yeah. word works, but sometimes we even get caught up on the externals of things. And what transformed my life was reading the book of Acts. It's the book of the Holy Spirit working through people. I uh, love Acts 2, 42 to 47. I read that back in 64 to 66 when I was teaching. And I said, man, why? why isn't Pentecost happening again? Okay. And that really leads to the issue of, uh, of the best is yet to come. I really think that the, the church is the last great hope for the world. And for that reason, we believe that ultimately we're going to end up as a community triumphant. Right. And, right. and so uh, I, uh, I just immerse myself in the book of Acts. That was transformative for me. And I never intended to write a book. And one of my associates said to me in a meeting back in, I think it's 2005, we were at a staff retreat. And he said, John, you need to write this stuff down. You keep talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. <laughs> Benefit somebody else with it. I said, I don't write books. Okay. And so, frankly, just like we're doing on this podcast, uh, we, we found a guy that he sat with me for several days. He transcribed. He recorded everything I said. And then we put it into a book. So, I mean, it's really, uh, it's, it's his gift as much as mine. But when I look at Acts 2, 42 to 47, all the disciplines of the Christian life, witness and worship and prayer and study and giving and serving and fellowship, they're all right there. And look what happened. The last verse, and the Lord added to their numbers day by day, those who are being saved. So that that was really my intent. And I hope that people find that helpful on a personal basis, okay, to grow, because I call it the seven doors to spiritual growth. It's kind of like the, uh, the, uh, the discipline, the disciplines involved, okay? Mm-hmm. Not law-oriented, you know, you got to go to church, you got to serve, you got to give. It's because we've been given, we get to give. And then we witness because we've been witnessed too. Uh, does that make sense? Uh, oh, it's all response, right? Yeah. Serve, serve and serve. And uh, people in fellowship care and love for one another. And you know what? The Holy Spirit, in the midst of all that, he adds to their number day by day. And I don't, uh, I don't, I don't like this whole thing, argument about numbering. Uh, uh, you know, you can use it as an excuse or you can use it as a statement of pride. Don't use it easy way. Just say, hey, Lord, 
how's business? <laughs> you, you said earlier about business. I thought, you know, if people don't like the word business, okay, I always remind myself the King James Version said that uh, Jesus wished ye not that I should be about my father's business. I said, well, if you don't want to call it business, call the church busyness, busyness. It's a big mess because that's uh-huh. the New Testament church. And, and a final thought on that is I really believe sometimes we use culture as an excuse uh, to uh, uh, to not witness as forcefully. I, 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 this is a personal conviction. I believe the 21st century the 21st century in the West is an awful lot like the first century in Europe and the Middle East. I look at all the parallels. It's amazing. And so let's, well, make, the mo- let's make the most of it. Let's make the most of it. Absolutely. And I think it's an incredible opportunity to see the book of Acts come alive. I've, I've been talking about this for a long period of time, John. The book of Acts is our is our playbook. We're not going back and not, not in, you know, obviously our context is different because Jews and Gentiles kind of it. But it but it was messy. The work of the Holy Spirit was absolutely messy and went cross-cultural. And that's what we need to see today. So say more about how you think that where are those parallels right now in the 21st of the first century? Well, I mean, we're moving into a. Uh, Almost an anti-Christian society. Yep. Well, look look at the first century culture. Same thing. And uh, to me, it's so fantastic that it moved from a judo basis in Jerusalem. Okay, and you contrast Jerusalem, the mother church, with Antioch, Syria. I mean, you're talking about <laughs> two different communities. And then Paul takes off. You know, and I'm saying. Man, he went and he did go to the synagogues first, and he finally said, well, we'll leave that to somebody else that can do that. We got to move in another direction. And uh, But the message, uh, study the sermons in the book of Acts. They were so marvelous. And, uh, uh, and study the methods, not just the message, but the methods in the New Testament church. I love Paul. We're going to do all things, okay? Uh, which reminds me, there's not one way to do ministry. I, I just get real nervous when people say, you got to do it this way. Uh, no, no, no. Look look at the ways in which the church uh, used a variety of ministries to reach a variety of people. But it's the same message. Christ crucified, but the book of Acts especially reminds us Christ risen again. Do we believe it or not? Do we believe it? What? Yeah, amen. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That is that is the hope. If Christ has not been raised, uh, we're people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised, the first Amen. fruits of those who are found in faith in him. So what are some of those methods that as you look, this is lead time podcast, and we talk about the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod here. What are some of those methods that we're married to today uh, that may need to come to the altar of the Lord and, and get re- refigured, refired? Oh, boy, that's a, that's a good question. Okay, I do realize what everybody is saying that uh, it used to be by invitation, you know, come to the come to the location uh, in terms of worship, et cetera. Sure. And now you have to go out. Well, the fact of the matter is, it's always been going out. I mean, uh, 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 I I invite people into a community because it's all about relationships. The uh, the longer I live, I'm gonna be 82 in a couple of months. Uh, I'll tell you what, the greatest treasure in life. Are one to personally know Jesus, and secondly, be able to share that in Christian community. Uh, uh, I I think people 
people want to be excited about something. And man, there's nothing more to get excited about than the risen Jesus in our midst where two or three come together in my name. Hey, I'm showing up. And, and so people need to be excited about that instead of dragging our heads and saying, whoa, I didn't answer your question particularly well. But, no, but I'm saying you, you look and just say, look at the different way. I mean, Paul, Paul goes to Areopagus, okay? Well, he goes to the synagogue. He goes here. He goes there. He appoints leaders. They're called elders. We call them pastors. You can call them bishops if you want to. In the Greek, you know, the Greek churches, that whole thing is very interesting, but we won't go there. Uh, mm. But, but I th- and also the, the explosion of with the Roman roads. Now you got the internet. Okay. Yep. So yep. all those, uh, well, I don't know if I maybe. No, no, it's, it's yeah, wonderful. Poorly, I, but, uh, I uh, let me, let me say, let me add to yeah, yeah. the leadership of the apostle Paul. Uh, how intimately connected he was to development of other leaders. Second Timothy two two is a live verse, right? Find men that can teach. You can find other men to to teach, and and yes. off off we go. You know, multiple. And I I one of my laments right now in the Missouri Synod is that those of us who are you know at the grassroots level, you um, who were at the grassroots, we have been kind of. Um, removed maybe that's too strong because we have vicarage but not not we don't have as the significant seat at the table in terms of formation yeah. today and and maybe there's some things that can change and with all due respect to the pastoral formation committee who makes recommendations right. to uh to senate convention for how things can possibly change none of those men are actively in a parish yeah. there's four of them they're yeah. good godly men but they, they, they're not actively in, in the parish. So that's, I think there's some system things that could change and, and to bring uh, faithful pastors who are understanding what, what needs to change and what doesn't change. Our doctrine's not going to change. The message right. of Christ isn't going to change, right. but they're, they're exegeting their community consistently. And how diverse is the American context today? <laughs> it's going to take all types of leaders in various contexts to train up all different uh, types of future leaders. Uh, and I, I pray for the interconnection between between the seminary and local churches in various contexts uh, in this day and age. And God's put that on my heart for a long, long period of time now. So anything to add to that, though, John? Well, I just want to I'm going to reiterate what I said earlier. OK, there's a wonderful place for seminary training. I am grateful for my training. They Same. trained me to be a good pastor, a good theologian. OK, but there That's are right. other ways there are other ways to do it. That goes back to what I said. It's uh, avoid the tyranny of the or and embrace the genius of the end. That was Jim Collins. He learned that. And I think good to great. Okay. But it's really true. Why do we have to make it seminary or nothing? Okay. That doesn't make sense to me. And again, to go back to the early Christian community, it was chaotic. It was messy. I mean, look at Paul. Uh, uh, and well, well, even with uh, with John Mark, you know, John Mark, he just poops out at the, when he sees the mountains and southern Turkey or Asia. Mine, he says, I'm going home. Well, you know, and then Barnabas wants to take him along. And he said, there's no way on God's green earth. Paul, Paul said, I'm taking that guy with me. And yet he reconciles with him later. So uh, and, and going back to, you know, the way in which the different congregations function. Uh, I don't want to. I, I don't want to be unkind, but but I said, you know, 
St. Louis uh, for the Missouri Senate is the mother church. Okay. Mm-hmm. Antioch, Syria, and Corinth and Ephesus are uh, many of our other churches. Does that does that make any sense? And again, I'm not against Missouri. I'm not I am not against Missouri. But why do we have to say it has to be this way or the highway? I, I just I don't I don't get it. I don't think we have that, that much time to waste. That's right. I mean, it, well, at the end, Jesus is coming back soon. That's right. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. There, there should be good gospel, good gospel urgency. All right, let's uh, let's do the pivot here, John. Let's let's talk about what you learned in leading teams. And I pray, regardless of whatever size your church is, that you're you're finding people who have different gifts than you do, whether they're paid or not paid. They're there in the church of 30. They're there in the church of 3000. And they're just waiting to be shoulder tapped, have the ICNU conversation with their pastor to bring them to the table, if you will. So what were your strategies for loving and holding staff um, leaders accountable, whether they were paid or or not. I think a lot of times we struggle with the accountable conversation. Right. How right. did you How did you do that, John? Well, let me just say this, uh, Tim, that uh, uh, it changed over the years because initially uh, I trained all lay people, and I know that today uh, there's concern about quote programs. But I'll tell you what was transformative in my life was the Kennedy Evangelism tra- Training Program. I I trained a lot of people in that, and that was textbook, but it was also visiting people. You follow me? Mm -hmm. In those days, you could do more of that. And then I did a lot of Bible study. Uh, I I taught any number of Bethel Bible uh, uh, students, uh, uh, teachers. They they then taught others. Uh, uh, We we constantly changed the uh, the. the construct of our congregation. We moved away from elders. We, we trained the elders. We had an elder deacon, deaconess ministry. Then we had grown to the point where we couldn't uh, uh, manage that anymore. So we moved into small groups. Uh, and my point is this, there, there's constant training across the board. And I'm going to talk about staff. In our case, uh, 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 I, I was blessed with a great staff. I really was. And I'll just say uh, quickly, I don't care what church size you have. We had weekly staff. We had weekly staff meetings. And in those, we always had Bible study or a growth session or the care concern. That was always a key component. Every week, we included all staff except for the staff for early childhood ministry because they were obviously taking care of the kids. Uh, we also had uh, uh, quarterly this is from the management staff. We, we had quarterly checkups. In other words, mm-hmm. uh, I checked in with those direct reports to me and the others down the line did the same. Just to kind of check in, uh, to say, hey, how's it going based upon your goals, et cetera? Uh, is there anything that's, that's impacting you even on a personal level? You know, that's mm-hmm. keeping you from uh, meeting your goals. So it was not a judgmental kind of thing. Just say, how can we help uh, that's right. do that? And then uh, uh, I'll tell you, as we grew, one of the critical components, we had biannual uh, staff uh, uh, retreats. We got away Monday to Wednesday, once a year, Wednesday to Friday. Those were absolutely key. Always teaching times, always growth. We studied a book, whether the scriptures or a, a contemporary leadership book, 
always training those leaders. Uh, and uh, then annually, we did have annual evaluations. And we tried to do as much as possible 360s. We developed our own tools because uh, uh, I always felt, sure, can you, that's the way you hold people accountable. Say, look, you came up with these, we came up with these goals together. Okay, this is not to beat you up if you didn't reach it. There were some things that, hey, all of us find out that it doesn't always work the way we want it, including myself. Uh, so, uh, uh, and the other thing is we really, uh, worked very hard to care for one another. We had a very diverse staff, and honestly, some of them drove me nuts. And I drove, <laughs> well, I drove some of them nuts, okay? I remember walking out of a staff retreat one time. I was so frustrated. I know they were shaking their head about what's wrong with that guy again, you know, but they loved me enough to, to, uh, to, to stay with me and vice versa. We had some long-term, but most of the staff at Gloria Day came out of the congregation. That's right. We, we had trained wow. them so well. Uh, we had trained them so well. We we felt guilty. We said, "We got to finally pay you guys. You're spending all your time up here." And uh, so it was gradual. They'd start at part time and then move forward. But uh, it was just uh, I don't know if I've. Uh, uh, but oh my gosh! Being honest, being honest with one another. Being honest with one another. Did you? Did you um have staff that would? Because it's it's tough to have those trusted staff that that challenge you, um, that that question you. Did you have Did you have those folks on your team? Uh, well, I, I I told the staff in a large group meeting one time. I said, "Would y'all please start talking more behind my back than to my mm. face?" Okay, <laughs> 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 because uh, and that's a uh, <laughs> well. One of them said to me, and I will not use the word that she spoke. We were getting ready to leave for a staff retreat, and uh, I was all wired up because I those always just energize me. I'm an introvert, believe it or not, because I'm energized by small groups. Big groups drain the life out of me. Okay, mm. and, and so I said. Well, uh, Annette, she was our business manager. Aren't you excited about going on this staff retreat? She looked at me and she was carrying an easel out to the car. And, and she said, it'd be great if we didn't have to take that blankety blank dictator along with us. And she was talking about <laughs> me. <laughs> and so, and kind of tongue in cheek, probably. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and with the other thing, Tim, I'm going to say, and I learned the hard way. I learned the hard way. I, I was insensitive to my staff and uh, uh, did not listen well to my staff. And so we got, and I'm not going to go into the details, okay, except I got triangled, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, I went through some depression for about five years. It was, mm -hmm. no, I can't say hell on earth because I can't, but I mean, you know where I'm coming from. It was incredibly right. painful. I learned a lot about myself, okay? But I, I said to the staff, we are never going to triangle one another. You got a problem with me? Don't go to somebody else and tell them to come to me. You come to me. I got a problem with you? Trust me, I'm coming to you. And my wife reminded me, she said, but honey, you have to remember that you have to be willing to listen to them when they come. Okay, that was that was very helpful. And there was listen uh, because you're very energetic like I am. So you 
you think everybody else ought to be like that. Well, God doesn't make everybody that way. And that's right. why I'm so glad, Tim, that we had such a diverse staff because, uh, I mean, some challenged me and I, <laughs> I didn't want them on staff, but you know, God knew I needed them on staff and they were a blessing to me. And I hope that they, uh, uh that they felt the same about me. That's so good. That's so good. Our churches um, are so similar in terms of raising people up internal and and uh, having a diverse team of challengers or the right level of challengers, galvanizers uh, on the team. You have to have that. If you don't mind me asking, what season of of ministry in your 33 years was that five-year stretch? Do you remember what years that was at Glory Day? I'll give you a little backdrop to it, okay? Please, please. In 1986, I went, of all places, with one of my laymen to the Institute for Successful Church Leadership and I know this is going to upset some folks at the Crystal Cathedral. And I heard Bob sure. Schuler speak and we can learn from everybody. You don't have to agree with everybody. You can, but you sure That's can right. learn. Okay. That's right. And, and I remember Schuler saying this, this is in January of 86, because I was there when the, uh, uh, was it the challenger exploded? Of course, that was right in our neck of the woods in terms of Johnson Space Center. And he said this, he said, I'm going to tell you, brothers, uh, if you've never faced a crisis in your ministry, trust me, you will. And I'm sitting there, man, I'm, I'm 44 years old. It ain't going to happen to me. Well, I'll tell you what, within about a year, it happened to me. And like I say, I will not go into detail because that wouldn't be helpful. But boy, it was painful. And, and I... <laughs> Because I was betrayed, I basically felt. I don't think it was done. I don't think. I don't think it was God. Uh, they meant it for evil, okay? But God meant it for good. I'll put it that way. And so yeah. that was that happened about a year and a half later. And uh, hmm. uh, I'll tell you, I didn't realize one how insensitive I was to people. Two, how how uh, boy, it's insidious pride that catches up on you and I uh, uh, it got it took God five years to beat this hard-headed German to the point of letting go of my pride I mean I I have a pride in Christ now that I didn't have before I had a pride I, I sadly to say in me uh, but it, it transformed my life in ministry uh, members we kept that very very quiet in the congregation but I, I did have people say I don't know everything that happened pastor but I'll tell you this, you're a changed man. Hmm. Wow. So what, what led you, I mean, that's, that's a long journey. And again, I'm not looking for specifics, but what, what, um, what led you out of it? Can you think uh, of some principles that led you out of that dark spot? Yeah. Well, my wife, my, my wife, uh, was very, very helpful. You know, uh, Hmm. she could be, she could be my toughest critic. Okay. But when it came to a situation like this, she was my greatest supporter. I remember, Tim, uh, one day uh, I was at the back door and I called her. She was she had gone to work for the school district after the kids had grown up a bit. Okay, and I said, honey, I do not want to go into the office today. And she said, honey, buck up, pray, go to the office. You got to go. And I, God, I didn't want to go. I was so depressed. But so 
to some, I mean, I, I do believe it was the Holy Spirit uh, at work in me. Because uh, uh, at first, I'll tell you, Tim, I, uh, I blame myself for everything. In other words, mm-hmm. I was the root of the problem. And then I got really good and mad, and I blamed them, okay, mm-hmm. uh, for, for what they did to me. Because it wasn't kind. They should have come to me personally. Then I said, you know what? This blame game is going to have to stop. And, uh, and God's spirit led me through that. I did talk. You, I don't know if you knew Pete Steinke. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he, he was a neighbor pastor early in my ministry uh, there wow. at Friendswood. And I got to know Pete real well. And then he was a clergy counselor. And I finally, oh, I just said, I cannot go to counseling. If I do that and people hear about it, they're going to wonder what's wrong with this dude. Okay. Well, and I didn't really share that broadly, but I, I'm willing to say it today. I went to him. And he was incredibly helpful for me to understand uh, uh, family systems theory. And, and he helped me. Under, he said, John, things were changing so much and you were rapidly growing. And we were. And, and he said the system was filled with anxiety. And when a system is filled with anxiety, people are going to begin to look around and say, who's causing all this anxiety? And you became the identified patient. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget that. And that was so helpful to me. And then he added one thing. He said, John, I'm going to tell you something else. You love change until it impacts you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> is, that, is that mind-boggling or what? It was, it was, so, it was so helpful. <laughs> it was so Oh, yeah, John. Uh, so Pete Steinke, I, I took a class with Pete Steinke in my doctorate program, John, some, gosh, 14. What a great guy. Shaped. I, I wouldn't be a pastor today apart from his writing. Good. I, I wouldn't. I would be. I would have been too fused to solving problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I could be prone toward chronic anxiety. Um, I could be prone toward anger. Pro- I mean, all the things. And so just finding myself, it, it just, an understanding of systems theory, um, yeah. lower, it should lower your significance so that then you can keep your head about you uh, to be the right type of change agent. Then the change has to start with us. It has to start in our hearts and in our minds individually as leaders. Anything more to say to that, John? Well, I'll tell you, Friedman's book from generation mm-hmm. to generation was really yeah. helpful. And again, it's it's not it's not to excuse my behavior, okay? It, it's to understand the cause of it, and I was the cause of it. I had to say that I was the, if I'd have been listening, okay, if I'd have been hearing, <laughs> maybe that's a better way to say it, uh, and listening, but but God used it for good. And uh, so that, in a sense, it made it worth it. But it, I'll tell you what, it was, it was life-changing. And I, uh, uh, I, I look at the biblical uh, characters, you know, hey, Moses didn't get to the promised land. Uh, right. And how God, in different kinds of ways, but, uh, and I think that's one of the dangers of leadership, you know, of leading, is you can become a bit more self-enamored than you should be. I mean, I, I see guys that uh, fall with infidelity and I mean, all that stuff. And this was in my forties, Tim, you know, uh, male midlife, I'll tell you is for well, real. 
It is. It is for real. And I'm 42 right now. And certain things that used to give me joy are are fading in significance. And if like preaching a sermon, the attaboy or something like that. And if I, if I give my heart room to like focus on, there's a, there's kind of a deep sadness that's there. And the only, there's only one way (laughs) that I move past it. It sounds trite, but it's the only, it's Jesus. It's, it's the hope of the Lord. It's, it's that he's got a plan and a purpose for my life and Holy Spirit, give me wisdom in this season to not make too big of a deal of myself because the devil wants people to put us on a platform and the devil wants to tear us down off of that platform. So what is it, John, about the forties? And you look at a lot of leaders. I've looked at a lot of leaders. They, they they fall often men specifically in their forties. What is it about that, John? Uh, you know, <laughs> I think part of it is it's tied to your personality, uh, because I ministered to a lot of guys uh, as a result of my experience, and I'll tell you, a lot of them considered divorce. Some acted on it. Then they get to their fifties and they say, "Holy smoke!" I, then they remarry. Well, then they want to go back to their first wife. Do you follow me? And, and mm-hmm. so I think there is something physiologically for type A or triple A personalities, because those are the ones that I've seen fall. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, uh, I tell you what, ha- uh, what was very helpful to me is, uh, and I hope you understand this, this comment. My, my wife of 50 years who went home to be with the Lord three years ago in September, uh, she was my intimate enemy. She knew me better than anybody else. And frankly, for that reason, kind of ticked me off on more than one occasion. And she did that during my 40s. And, you know, uh, in so many ways, reminded me, uh, hey, you aren't the person that other people think you are. <laughs> and so, well, thanks a lot, honey. I love you too, kind of thing. <laughs> but, uh, so I think that's part of it. The other thing is, out of that experience, I went to a leadership network uh, gathering of senior pastors in Colorado Springs. And here's a group of 20 guys that uh, uh, talked about their life experiences and guys were coming out of therapy. They were in their 40s, too. And and they're talking about their accountability groups. Okay? I said, because they said, how are you doing? I said, man, I'm sucking air, as a matter of fact. You know? And they said, well, who's your who's in your accountability group? I said, uh, I don't have one. And they said, you're not going to make it. And I, I went home. And I mean, I had this big black hole in my heart, in my gut. And I did something that was against my father's advice, not that he gave it at that time. He had earlier. He said, son, you cannot tell uh, other members of the congregation what you know about, okay, uh, things that go on. And, because it's the issue of confidentiality. Well, sure. as a result of that, I was so afraid to talk to anybody outside of Elaine, my wife. And then I, decided, I sent a letters to three men in the congregation. And I, I still have a copy. Of, it was carbon paper <laughs> copy. <laughs> and, That's and old I, school, Jeff. <laughs> and I said, hey, guys, I am really, uh, I'm really wrestling with this, this black hole in my heart. I need, this was as a result of this experience. 
And I said, I'm going to ask that you meet with me regularly to hold me accountable. And I said, if I start to talk about them, you're going to say, John, we're not here. You're not here to talk about uh, them. You're here to talk about you. So I met with them regularly. And one of those guys is still with me today. And uh, kind of the kind of a Paul, uh, uh, Paul and and uh, Barnabas, you know, and uh, not so much a Timothy, maybe a, uh, a Paul, a Priscilla and a killer. <laughs> uh, but, but, well, yeah, I think that, John, I, I don't know where and I understand why the seminary says it and, and certain folks, but to. It really puts pastors in a tough spot because we we don't think we can have friends. Yeah. Jesus came and he even Jesus needed friends. Yeah. I've called you friends. And I think a lot of times we think, well, that was just, you know, Jesus, like Jesus actually needed it. I don't know that I've deeply thought about that. Like Jesus is grieved. I think one of his most vulnerable points, I think it's John 6, right? Uh, this is a hard teaching, you know, yeah, who can yeah. receive it? And a lot of his friends, his disciples, they walk away. And then Jesus in his greatest moment of vulnerability, what about what about you guys? Are you going to go too? And Peter kind of looks around and where are we, where are we going to go? You yeah. have the words of eternal life. There's a vulnerability in, in Jesus that he modeled for us there. So we need those friends in the church. And it is wise to know it takes time. It takes trust, deep trust. Who can I share what with? Yeah. Uh, but I, I have that group within and outside of our church. There's two different prayer groups that I'm a part of and, and, a, and a close brother. Shout out to yes. Pastor Zach Zender, Pastor yes. Zach Zender at King of Kings and Red Letter. I mean, he and I are t- on the on the phone every week or every other week right. talking through some the heart issue, sure. heart issue stuff, yeah. confessing yeah. sin confessing sin and, and giving the gospel to one another because we we really need it. So, yeah, I pray that more people would follow your example there, brother. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anything more to add on that need it's for just, friends, John? One of the interesting things is, uh, well, first of all, reminding ourselves that even Jesus had Peter, James, and John. You know, isn't that fascinating? Even our Lord needed an accountability of three, group of three, because he took them to the Mount of Transfiguration. Etc. So the the other, and you have to do this with some caution. But when I opened up about my struggle with my own depression, I'll tell you, you wouldn't believe how many people talked to me and saying saying thank thanks a lot for sharing that. And in fact, uh, I ministered to a number of people in midlife crisis as a result of that coming out of it. Uh, several individuals have said, "I need to talk to you because." Uh, I'm just barely hanging on. I mean, and not so much. This was even after midlife, just struggling with depression and, and reminding them that it's a journey. I mean, it, God, I want it to go away, but it takes, uh, it's a process. In fact, it's a lifelong process. We all struggle with downtimes. When it gets severe, it's depression, you know? Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think, uh, the willingness to, uh, to to allow ourselves to be vulnerable uh, is so. I mean, that's it's confession. It's living out your baptism, <laughs> isn't it. it? I mean, daily confessing our sins and receiving absolution. But having, I mean, I've got I've got a group now. Of that that group of three is now seven, and mm-hmm. just whoever's here, and we're primarily there just to encourage one another. Uh, everybody, Tim needs encouragement. I, 
I was sharing with somebody just recently. I said, you know what? Uh, 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 well, it was actually a small group of guys that were kind of dropping out of church. And I decided, by golly, I'm going to go talk to them. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and they said, well, why, well, why, why can you say that uh, without it ma- making us feel so bad? I said, well, mm-hmm. I want to encourage you because I said, I've never had an individual walk out of church on a Sunday morning and say, Pastor, would you please give me a word of discouragement? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Yeah, Everybody right. needs, it needs to put courage in by loving and caring. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim, I am blessed with a multitude of friends. I mean, deep friends. And I'm grateful to God, mm-hmm. to the senior pastor at Glory Day presently, Dan Shepman. You know, Dan, uh, oh, well. he is not. Uh, I don't go to Gloria Day. I left there the day that I retired, and I'm glad that I, I mean, it was important that I did that. But I tell you, he does not begrudge my friendship. Uh, I try to uh, I, I try to encourage and praise. I meet with him every, whenever he wants to meet, just to encourage. It's tough to be in ministry today, but it's not impossible. It yeah. No, it's definitely not. And we need, we need mentors. So I'd love to, You've you've spoken and written a lot about hope, and you know the best is yet to come. That's a book yeah. of of hope, and um, you know because if in this life alone, like I said earlier, like this life is very very discouraging. So as you think about the the resurrection of Jesus and the wow. imminent return of of yeah. Christ, uh, the reunion with your wife with your wife and those yes. who have gone before. Yeah. Uh, just talk about the hope of the resurrection reality and how that just gives you so much joy. Well, uh, people know that uh, I started it about 10 years before and uh, on Easter Sunday. Uh, that, I mean, people still remember it to this day. Uh, I said to people, you know, uh, this was on Easter Sunday. And I said, uh, you know, I, I really I really like the 4th of July because I was Independence Day. But I said, for me, it was not because I got married on the 4th of July. Okay. (laughs) And I said, I like Labor Day. And boy, Thanksgiving is really good. Okay. I like Christmas. I I like Valentine's Day. But I love Easter. Easter is my favorite day of the year. And they always say, well, we know what he's going to say this Easter. He's going to take the first minute, minute to tell us all about the other holidays, but love and Easter. I mean, hey, uh, that's the reason I'm in ministry. That's the reason I'm a Christian. This is the doctrine of the resurrection. You can take away, uh, you got to understand this in context. You can take away dog in near any other teaching of the scripture, okay? But don't take away the resurrection. And I, I don't mean to disregard the other, obviously, justification. But, I mean, that's the capstone. If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You're still in your sin. You're with no hope in the world. It's all about hope in the risen one. And hope for right now, but fulfillment yes. when he comes again. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So as a, as a pastor, you get to walk through people in their greatest moments of grief and, and loss and point people to hope of, of Jesus. What did the Lord teach you through bearing the struggles of other others? And, and even, even in your own kind of grief, grief journey, uh, your wife and others who have been yeah. close to you, what is the Lord, how has the Lord comforted you, John? Well, I, I just, I mean, frankly, it is the doctrine of the resurrection. 
because he lives, we'll live also. And yeah. this is going to sound uh, strange, okay? Uh, I I don't have a lot of grief when it comes. My wife said, uh, you cry at movies. You don't cry at real life. And I don't know what that says about me, except maybe being a little weird. But, uh, but what really, uh, I just have to tell you, I don't worry about that. You know, because Jesus lives. He lives in me. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's one doctrine that became much more alive in me over the years. We're, we're so focused on the second person of the Trinity, and rightfully so. But you know what? He is alive today. Again, the book of Acts. Look at all the, you know, everybody agreed with Paul until he got to the resurrection, you know. But that's that's it. And so uh, I, I'm not worried about dying. I'm ready. You know, we don't have to worry about it, right? That's uh, yeah. that's that's the hope of the world. That's the hope of the world. The world's going to heck in a handbasket. We're not, right? Uh, this morning I'm Amen. finishing through with today's light for the uh, uh, eighth time through the scripture since I've retired. Guess what I read today? The first uh, eight verses of Revelation one. He was, mm. he is, and he's coming soon. Get ready. Yeah. Amen. Get ready, baby. <laughs> well, that's that's why we do what we do, man. People need hope. Uh, if you got a pulse, you need encouragement. Uh, this yeah. this world is is hard. There's sin and suffering and loss, and uh, we are right to to be grieving. Uh, the core, one of the core emotions in the human existence is is deep sadness. Well. Have joy. Take great comfort. Christ has been raised from the dead and, and you will rise as well, as well as all those who. And this is the heart of our evangelical fervor. I, I'm not the one who creates or sustains faith. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But I am called to plant seeds, plant hope seeds everywhere. Jesus is coming, uh, coming very, very soon. Get, get ready. Be baptized and believe the good news of, of Jesus Christ. And uh, last last kind of group of questions here, John. Yeah. I mean, we're we're brothers in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I think you, you, your roots go back quite a ways, as do yeah. as do mine. Uh, why are you a pastor in the LCMS? And talk talk about the gifts and the gaps as you're just bringing a word to us as the culture of the LCMS today. Where do you th- see our strengths and opportunities for growth? Well, first of all, uh, the LCMS is the mother that bore me, okay? I mean, I was born into it, rich history in terms of family roots. My dad, being a teacher for 49, helped the pastor for 11, and the Lord took him. Both of my brothers, uh, the teaching ministry of the church, I followed that tradition. You know, we all graduated from River Forest, my father in 20, my brother in, uh, in 51, another brother in 57, I'm a 64, so... And I learned great law gospel at River Forest, by the way. Amen. I'd never heard of the proper distinction between law and gospel until the religion prop there. Steve Schmidt brought that up. And I thought, what is this? Well, it opened my eyes. I'll tell you for sure. <laughs> so he was so, so good. good. He was so good. And then, so uh, uh, I think for that reason, uh, Walter was pretty much of a genius. Okay. He could be a German uh, uh Hard-headed uh, Lutheran, I know, but but uh, at core, the man knew the gospel predominates, and that's yeah. where I'd say the Missouri Synod. That's this is our heart and soul, and frankly, I have concerns that maybe we're not living it out as well as we should. Okay, uh, including myself. 
Okay, and I'll include myself in that in that judgment, if you will. But at best, it's when we share the 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 joy in the Lord, the hope in Christ. Uh, I mean, He is the. I mean, it's it's trite, but He is the answer to sin and the problems of sin in the world. And so, uh, but I would say, let it loose. Okay. In other words, we don't we don't have to restrict everything. I, I get, uh, and I'll bring up one case in point uh, from the convention. Okay, why do we have to say it's absolutely wrong to have uh, communion online? Do you follow me? I'm saying, mm-hmm. is that preferred? Absolutely, it's not preferred. Okay, mm-hmm. I think God's people need to gather regularly in the community of believers in the local congregation, and that's where the sacrament is served, okay, uh, should be served. But does that mean you can't do it somewhere else? I just, I don't, I don't get that. This is not gospel, man. Uh, yeah. uh, so I don't know if that helps, but I... Uh, well, uh, you know, I, I struggle with making things that are adiaphora yeah, into yes. laws. Absolutely. Right? Yep. And then, and then referring to how we've agreed at synod and convention, which that's a, that's a messy environment. I've been there three times now. Like when you, when you really have a little over half of the room in agreement and maybe, or maybe not representing entirely all of those who are, are part of synod. And, and then you're saying, We've like fully agreed to live by our, the Constitution and bylaws of Synod. Well, I guess totally by the law. Uh, yeah, but there's still people who may have some disagreements, some different ways we're thinking about it. And, and we need to have sensitivity and room doctrinally. So, I mean, the best parts of our doctrine is leaning into the tension um, of, of just life together now and not yet. And so it, I don't know that we embrace the mess as well as we could and, and should. Um, and I'm just, I'm just praying for more humility yeah. for myself and for the body at large that we would stay connected to those who have different opinions. And you can go across whatever sort of spectrum yeah. aisle you want to talk about. Those that are more conservative, those that would rather not risk or change, and those of us that have maybe a higher risk tolerance. I think it I think that's where that's where a lot of the disagreement can often be found is more of a personality sociology rather than deep theology. So yeah, anything more to add there, John? Well I was gonna you know go back to what I said earlier about leadership. I said you have to be a constant student and learner and base it on the scriptures. The most mm. freeing thing for me has been to not focus as much on systematics, okay, as on uh, uh, exegesis. Mm. It's not, op- I'm not talking about opposites. I am saying, though, that uh, get into the word. And yes. we want to absolutize everything that the Scripture does. Early in my ministry, uh, we studied in a big Bible class the office of the ministry, and we concurred that Senate has never really answered that question. We've argued about it ever since uh, day one. And so, okay, we've got the freedom there. And we used the confessions of the church, not the Constitution, as the guiding principle. And so that's... That's where I think we need to return. I, I know the law has has its appropriate function in an institution, okay? But that's 
that's the left-hand stuff, okay? Isn't right. And and for that for that reason, we need to cut each other some slack. We, we need to get back to confession and absolution. I'm, uh, I'll tell you, our problem is we just refuse to confess sin to one another. And if you don't do that, how can you forgive? Right? Uh, <laughs> it seems it seems so simple, John. It yeah. seems so simple, but it's so hard. It's, it's so, so for all of us, for all because we're sinners. That's why. It's that's right. So hard, but I I'm going to go back. I mean, I tell you, some of us are still in Jerusalem, <laughs> and some of us are in Antioch, Syria. Oh, uh, uh, just in turn, I'm talking about a kind of where we are. But you know, in Antioch, Syria, it said the Holy Spirit set us apart, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when Paul took off on those missionary journeys. It wasn't, they didn't come up with that great idea, right? The Holy Spirit well, came up with that idea. Amen, amen. And just taking that one step further, Paul helps raise money for the church in Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah. Right? They, they cared for one another. They cared about their roots. They were respectful of their foundation, their Jewish, you know, sisters yeah. and brothers who had come to faith. Uh, and they recognized Jesus gave them this mandate from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. That's Amen. where this thing is. That's where this thing is going. And so what I would pray for, I don't think I've ever said this, but that you you, you dropped uh, the reference to your wife being, let's you use the word, an intimate enemy. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've also heard of the the Eve role or the the wife's role for the man is to be a kind adversary. Yes, um, that's a good she, way. She, she sees all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a kind adversary. Hopefully, she's kind. And I don't know that we've I don't know that we've embraced at the macro level those in in our system of yeah. the LCMS and the culture of the LCMS, those who are kind adversaries. We, yeah. We've developed a very passive, aggressive behavior response yes. toward one another, and we don't sit through the confession absolution-oriented challenge that is so necessary for leaders at every single level yeah. to have kind kind adversaries. So let's pray for that, John. Uh, any closing comments, man? This has been so much fun. I could talk to you for a long time. Uh, I'm late for, I'm late for a staff meeting, John. I gotta, I gotta get going, but no. Uh, yeah, this has been great. Any final, final comments, John? <laughs> then confess your sin to your staff and blame it on me. Okay. <laughs> no, give me a break. Oh, this I, has I been say, so I'm, good. I'm with you, Tim. And I'll tell you, I'm, I'm so encouraged by you and others of uh, similar mind and spirit uh, for leading for leading the church evangelically, continue to appropriately hold all of us accountable. I, I really mean that, all of us accountable. But let's go back to good, what makes us best, proper distinction and application of law mm-hmm. and gospel. But above all else, let the gospel predominate. Walter was right then. He's still right today. Thanks so much for the privilege of being with you today. God richly bless you. And those who listen to this podcast, that they'll be blessed through it. I've really prayed about this. I hope I've made some contribution. And I'll close with this thought, if I may. I don't want to keep it too late. Recently, I read where someone said he reads any number of books. Okay. And I became, I, I read a lot of books in my life. He said something that was so helpful to me. He said, you know what? When I read a book, all I hope to get out of the book is one major point or quote. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to remember most of what was written. 
And that's my prayer for this podcast. You can disregard everything we've said if you can get one good thing out of this uh, sharing time. Okay, that's my prayer is that somebody's life and ministry will be blessed as a result of our gracious conversation. Love you. Well, I'm blessed. Love, love you too, brother. John. Thank I, you. I love you Thank too, you. man. It's just an honor to call you a friend. Um, I need I need friends who understand what it's Absolutely. what it's like this cross this cross that we carry uh, in the ministry and we don't carry it alone. Christ is right alongside us and his church, his people, all the saved are, are right alongside us as well. So leader, if you're isolated, if you need, if you need prayer, um, reach out to us at uniteleadership.org. We'd love to come alongside you. You are not alone. We're better. We're better together and confess just our need for deep relationship. That's what I'm taking from our conversation today. I need the vulnerable relationships or else I'm not, I'm not going to make it. Uh, I'm not gonna, but we're we're gonna make it. So thanks for being that example to us. This is lead time sharing is caring. Like, subscribe, comment wherever it is you take in podcasts, and we promise to continue to have hopefully joy filled, Jesus filled conversations with leaders like like John. God bless you, brother. Love you. You as well. Love you too. You've been listening to Lead Time, a podcast of the Unite Leadership Collective. The ULC's mission is to collaborate with the local church to discover, develop, and deploy leaders through biblical Lutheran doctrine and innovative methods. To partner with us in this gospel message, subscribe to our channel, then go to the uniteleadership.org to create your free login for exclusive material and resources, and then to explore ways in which you can sponsor an episode. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for next week's episode. The Unite Leadership Collective is excited to announce the launch of our new online learning platform. Whether you're considering entering into ministry or already leading, we have the resources that you need to become an empowered leader in your ministry. Our learning platform will release new courses every quarter with our first available course, Becoming an Engaged Leader, available now. But by joining our monthly membership, you'll unlock unlimited access to all of our courses and gain entry into our exclusive coaching community space where ministry leaders can connect with each other. This community also grants you access to bi-weekly coaching calls led by the ULC team, private Zoom calls, and additional team discounts. To celebrate the launch, we're offering introductory rates for all of our courses and the monthly subscription plan. Just enroll prior to January 1st using the code 75ULC2023 to get 75% off at checkout. Visit the uniteleadership.org to learn more about our online learning platform and start your journey to lead effectively in any church settings today.